0: Amen. Amen. I love that song. That song has become... Uh, one of my favorite songs, in fact, uh, most mornings as I'm heading into the church, I, I live kind of on the east, and as I'm driving towards the west and see the beauty of the mountains, oftentimes I'll turn that song on, the song, the last song that we just sang, uh, just a reminder of the breath that is in us and the life that we have as the beauty of, of God just radiates uh, from us. Well, I want to welcome you. It is great to be able to sing uh, in God's presence, and also, even in the midst of this crazy, crazy season, to be able able to open God's Word week in and week out. And so if you have your Bibles today, I would love for you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28. It's where we're going to be in just a few moments. As you you know, or maybe many of you know, uh, that we are kind of right in the middle of a series that we're calling Finding Jesus. Finding Jesus. And if you didn't see the previous three messages or hear the previous three messages, I would just encourage you to go back and to listen to those messages. Not only because they're foundational for what we're talking about today, but really foundational for everything that we are uh, about as a church. And so yeah, we made this really easy for you. If you missed a couple of weeks, or maybe you're just brand new to Crossroads Church, you can simply go to crossroadsabc.com or you can download our app. You can go to sermons on demand and you can check out all of the messages that we have there. You can uh, pre- see the previous three messages that on this series. Uh, if something I say today is of interest to you and you want to go back and see that, you can there. If you fall asleep, and you just need to catch up later, you can do that as well. There are tons of resources there as well, uh, questions that can be asked if you're in a community group or want to start a community group. Uh, one of the great things is that you can watch the message together and then you have some dialogue and some questions afterwards that you can just simply go through. So. All of that is found at CrossroadsABC.com. Now, the premise of this series is that in this kind of surreal moment that we're living in with with COVID-19 and the riots and, and the race equality that's really kind of moving across our nation is that more and more people are looking for hope. That more and more people are looking for peace. That, that more and more people are looking for, for purpose in their lives. And, and what are they to do in this, in this kind of weird season? And we believe the answers to all of those questions are found in Jesus. It's why we're doing this series, Finding Jesus. And so as we've dialed, dove into this series over the last couple of weeks, the first week, we really focused on really the beginning of what does it look like to find Jesus, that first step of finding Jesus. And and so as we discovered, or what we discovered is that Jesus just simply makes an invitation to us. He says, will you just come and see? Will you just come and follow me? There's no commitment here. You don't have to believe anything. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have your, your life together. Would you just come and see? Would you, just, would you just experience life in me? And what's that's all about? That's really just the first step. And then, and then week two, we, we looked at and we moved from just simply come and see to really see and believe that every single one of us at some point or another in our lives realizes the brokenness that we have, the brokenness that Pastor James spoke about why we took communion today, that, that all of us are broken and that we have this sin in our lives. And at some point we realize that we need a Savior. And in those moments, as we cry out to God, we we believe, we trust in him, and we move into relationship with him. Then week three, we looked at, at the progression that Jesus makes in our relationship with him from come and see, to see and believe, to believe and be. And we looked at this old Bible word, the word abide and how it has such significance and what it looks like to be with Jesus. And Pastor Chris, he did an amazing, amazing job with that sermon last week, but he made a mistake that I just need to, I feel like I need to correct, alright? So he said last week that he, was a, that he was an 80's kid and that he grew up in the 80's and that the 80's had some of the best movies and he listed all of these different movies from the 80's and he forgot to mention the best movie from the 80's, maybe the best movie ever and that is top top Gun. Get your air guitars out. Let's do this, Brad. Ready? Oh, just let it wash over you. The sweet sounds of 80 Rock, right? Top Gun. It's coming out. Top Gun 2 this Christmas. You don't want to miss it, all right? Pastor Chris, you don't want to miss it, all right? So, all of that, all of that, including Top Gun, right? Like, all of that leads us to where we're at today and where we're going, which is one of the most famous passages, one of the most famous teachings in Jesus' life, which is found in Matthew chapter 28. So like I said, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip there. It's a famous uh, passage that actually helps us answer one of the core questions that we ask in our lives. It's one of the core questions that we ask. That as a pastor, probably the most predominant, not even probably, the most predominant question that I get asked week in and week out is, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to be all about? Like, like, what am I supposed to do in this world? What does he want from me? What is his will for me? Around the circle at home, if you've ever asked that question, just, just raise your hand. Yeah, almost all of us, right? That we all wonder, God, what is it that, that you want from us in this world? Well, over the next couple of weeks, as we kind of wrap down this series, we want to address specifically that question. And if you're in the process of, of finding Jesus, or maybe you've already found Jesus, Then there are some pretty specific things that make up what a disciple is when it comes to uh, this thing that we call following Jesus or being a disciple in Jesus. Now, just so we're all clear, a disciple is someone who has followed, believed, and is abiding in Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has died on the cross. And three days later, on Sunday, these two ladies, both named Mary, head to the cross or head to the tomb to take care of Jesus' body. And these two Marys, they were dear, dear friends of Jesus. And so they're going to the tomb. And as they enter into the tomb to, to take care of the body, Jesus's body's not there. In fact, Jesus has gone altogether, And what's sitting in his place is this angel. Now, any time that an angel shows up in the Bible, the very first words are, don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. Because apparently, when people see angels, they get scared. It's not like a fairy tale where rainbows and kittens and unicorns explode everywhere when, a sh- you know, when an angel shows up and Heart music. It's terrifying. And so these two ladies show up at the tomb and they see this angel and they are terrified. And the angel says to them, do not be afraid. Calm down. I know you're here looking for Jesus, but he's not here. He is risen. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to go and to get the boys, the, the 11 disciples who Jesus hung with. He says, I want you to go get them, and I want you to, to, meet that, to meet Jesus at this mountain. That's where he's going to meet you. Now, at this point, these ladies, their minds had to be reeling, right? Because dead guys, you know, they don't get up and walk around. They just don't do it. And so these ladies are, are trying to take all of this in, and yet in the midst of all of this, one of the Marys that is right here, that, they, that she had seen this before. That she had seen this, that, that her brother had been risen from the dead by Jesus. It's a remarkable story. And so the angel looks at Marys at the Marys and says, I need you to go find the disciples and meet Jesus at this mountain. And so the Marys take off. They take off, and as they're on their way to find the disciples, lo and behold, they, they run into Jesus. And apparently they freak out when they see Jesus because he says the same thing that the angel says. He says, do not be afraid. Like they see a dead guy walking. You would be afraid too. And so they say, do not be afraid, Jesus tells them. And then he says, look, I need the boys. Have them meet me at the mountain. And so eventually everybody ends up in this region of Galilee at this mountain. And Jesus speaks these words over them. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded of you. And behold, I'm with you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, like I said, this passage is a famous passage. It's a famous teaching because it's in this passage that Jesus is so clear in communicating what his disciples would be all about. But before telling us what to do, he actually tells us what he can do for us. He starts this this teaching off by saying that all authority, all authority is given to him on heaven, in heaven, and on the earth. That all authority. Now, the word authority, we all know what that means. But authority simply means the right and the power to do whatever that person wants to do. That's what authority is. And Jesus means to say in this moment that he has the absolute right and the absolute authority, the absolute power to do what he pleases in heaven and on this earth. That it's been given to him. That there is no authority in heaven that can call into question Jesus' authority. That there is nothing that can happen on this earth that will frustrate the will of Jesus when he exerts his power and his authority to achieve it. That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says. Now, that's significant, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But, but I want, what I want you to see here is that without this declaration of Jesus' authority, that we could never, we could never venture confidently to the thing that he asks us to do as one of his disciples, which is what we find in verse 19. When Jesus looks out and he says, all authority has been given to me, so go, disciples go, and make disciples of every nation. Now this is so fascinating to me. Because the very first words to his disciples, the very first words that Jesus chooses to speak to his disciples after his resurrection, the marching orders for everyone who professes to to follow, believe, abide in Jesus is go and make disciples. It wasn't first and foremost go read your Bible. It wasn't first and foremost go pray. It wasn't first and foremost go gather and, and bring worship. It was... If you're a disciple of mine, you're going to go into this world and make more disciples. See, this is the very important thing. That when Jesus runs into the Marys, running to find the disciples he looks at him and says, look, I need the boys to meet me at the mountain because there's, there's something very important that I need to let them know about. There's something very important that they need to know. And that very important thing, when everybody's in the mountains, that he wanted to communicate to them that to be one of my disciples is to make disciples. And here's the brilliance of that command, that to be a disciple assumes all the other good things. It assumes that we're reading our Bibles. It assumes that we're praying. It assumes that we're gathering together to worship. It assumes that we're we're walking in love and in mercy. It assumes all of those things are already happening. And Jesus says, now I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. Now come on. I know immediately when we hear that there's a hesitancy, isn't there? There's a hesitancy that rises up in all of us. And I know that for some of you, you're like, <laughs> like Matt, like, like I hear you. But what right do I have? What right do I have to tell anyone what they should believe? That's a fair question. Right? That we, that we sit here and, and we think to, on what possible basis... Do I have the right to tell anyone what they should, how they should change their lives, how they should change their worldviews, how they should change the way that they think and the way that they act and become a disciple of Jesus? I mean, the two things that we don't talk about in modern America are faith, religion, and what? Politics, right? So let's just take both of those on. Let's talk about how President Trump is doing in his job. Just kidding. We're not going to do it, right? Like, that just gets everybody fired up. I know I fired up some of you. Sorry, Facebook moderators and chat room moderators, what I just did to you. All right? Okay, the reality is, the reality, hear me on this. The reality is, is that for every single one of us, every single one of us, that we've always been involved in discipleship making that we've always had a role in this from our very birth, just not always disciple-making for Jesus. See, the reality is that you are a disciple. And the question just is, is who are you following? There's no doubt, there's no doubt that you have disciples, that you are making disciples, because you are. The question is, is how are you influencing the people that are watching you See, every single day of your life, whether you believe it or not, you are influencing people. If you're a parent, you probably realize this more than than most, right? Because those little rug eaters that we have at home, they are like parrots learning from us, watching us, doing everything uh, that we do. And this reality hit me about 10 years ago. 10 years ago or so, I oftentimes, and probably way too liberally, used the word crap. All right? Anytime I was frustrated in this life, I would just sit back and I would just go, Ah, crap. Now, I know for some of you, you're thinking, pastors, you are so weird, right? Like, come to my house and I'll teach you some real words. And I'm sure that you could, right? I'm sure that you could uh, teach me some real words. But the reason that this is important, the reason that I share this is because my sister-in-law, she is an awesome lady. She loves Jesus. We have a great relationship. And she's from a Mennonite family. So if you've never heard of the Mennonites, maybe you've heard of Heterites or Quakers. They're all like the same, right? They're very, very conservative. And crap kind of sits right between the F-bomb and the S-missile, like in order of like curse words, right? And so it's like a pretty big deal. So you can imagine the terror that she faced when she heard my three-year-old while at her house say, oh, crap, right? Like, Like that was a moment that is not forgettable. And so, right, so, so unknowingly, as I sit back and look at this situation, unknowingly, I had taught my three-year-old that word. Like, whether I believed it or not, my kid had learned, had been taught that word from me. And then he saw every day how dad would use it. And he just simply took what he learned, saw how his dad took it, and began to apply it to his life in his situation that he was very much my disciple. It was a harmless situation, but it radically changed my perspective on how I understand these verses. That I influence people every day. That I'm constantly teaching. And the question, the question, is how am I influencing the people that God has put in my life? See the answer to the question? The only thing that could justify such such outlandish proselytizing is that Jesus actually did rise from the dead and that he has been given absolute authority over the natural and the supernatural world, over heaven and on this earth, and that one day every human, every person, every angelic being will bow their knee before him. And if Jesus has that kind of authority, then we Christians not only have the rights, but it is also the most loving thing that we could do. That we are bound by love to tell other people to change and to become his disciples. That David Pratt, a great author, a great speaker, writes in his book, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream, he writes these words, At the end of our lives, we will not wish that we had made more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued greater retirement, or even been more successful in the ways, in the eyes of the world. Instead, in those moments, we will wish we had been given more of ourselves to living for the day when every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language will bow down around the throne and sing the praises of, of the Savior who delights in radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship. Those are powerful, powerful words. And yet we live in a day and age in the church in which everything seems to be going the opposite way, the opposite direction, away from life-on-life discipleship making. Let's be real honest. That That disciples making disciples isn't rocket science, is it? That the vision is is pretty clear. And in fact, the vision is pretty compelling. It's what led most of us to believing in Jesus to begin with. But listen, it's impossible for us, for me and for you, to really look at our relationship with Jesus and truly say that it is good if I don't have a passion and a willingness to invest in other people so that they see that God is good. See, all of this comes together in verse 19, where Jesus begins this by saying, go. Now, that word go is better understood as you go, in your going. And the idea is is that that we are continually being sent as disciple makers who live every day, every day of our life with the intentionality that we might show both in our lives and with our words that we would tell others about the goodness of Jesus and what that looks like in our everyday stuff, in our everyday lives. It's not a new program or an event that a church puts together that you sign up for and you do. No, every day is the event. Life is the program. And when we see, this is, this, is the, this is the scary part of this, that when we see discipleship making, disciple making as simply an event or a program that the church does, then ultimately what we lose or what we teach is that being a disciple of Jesus is nothing more than a study or a program instead of an all-encompassing life where we worship the one who has saved us. And Jesus looks at us And he says to us, the investment that we're to be making in other people is not only living a good life. We should do that. And it's not only leading people to Jesus. That's a great first step. But also, he says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded of you. That conversion and baptism is essential. But so is the ongoing teaching of the things that Jesus taught us to abide in. So all disciples... Must be learners and all disciple makers must be teachers. And that's where we begin to feel the tension, isn't it? That's where it gets hard for us. That's where, for for some of us, that's where we go, I know that the most loving thing for me to do is to lead someone to Jesus and to teach them what it looks like to follow and to observe all the things that He's commanded. But I struggle with that in my own life. How could I tell? How can I show anybody else what that looks like? And admittedly, living for Jesus every day of our life is a struggle, isn't it? That we have sins and we have failures. And most days, myself included, we feel like huge hypocrites rather than faithful disciples of Jesus. Obeying what Jesus commanded is difficult. Living that out in such a way that we're bringing others along, helping them obey what Jesus said, man, that's even harder. And so, what do we do? What do we do when we feel like it do- we don't have what it takes to do the very thing that Jesus asks of us as his disciple? What do we do in this life when we feel like, like we don't have what it takes to be a disciple? the way Jesus calls us to be a disciple. Well, for most of us, what we do is we take out our Bibles and we read and we pray and we go to church and we do all of those good things and we say, maybe one day, maybe one day, I'll make a disciple. And the sad thing of the world is that many of us never make it to that point. We never become disciples who make disciples. And yet the answer to that question of of what do we do when we don't feel like we have what it takes to become a disciple, that answer is found right here in verse 20. That Jesus is so gracious to us. He's so gracious and he gives us these words of comfort in verse 20. He says, behold, look, pay attention. I am with you always. Like I'm here with you. That I'm right here with you. I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna forsake you. That we've got this together. And I'm gonna be here till the very end, he says. I'm gonna be here till the very end. I'm with you. And there's not greater words of comfort in this entire world than to hear our Savior say that He is with here, He is with us, that He is here with us. And when we step back and we look at just these three verses, we realize that Jesus has all of this authority. And he calls us to be disciples who are making disciples. And then he says, when you get scared and you don't know what to do and you're afraid that you're going to mess it up, just remember that I am here with you always. To the very end, we've got this. And maybe that's the greatest lesson of becoming a disciple. It's to realize that that the disciple making that Jesus is calling us to first involves leaning on our Savior and realizing that it's that it's way more about him than it ever is about us. And then once we have that, we give personal attention and guidance from one disciple to another. That's what discipleship's all about. One disciple to another time and time again. And so whether you first believed in Jesus three weeks ago or you have been a disciple of Jesus for the last 30 years, the call on your life is the same. You want to know purpose? You want to know what God wants for you in this life? You want to know what God's will is? We start right here in Matthew chapter 28. Go in all of your goings in this life. Make disciples of every nation baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as you're doing that, don't forget to help them observe all that I've commanded. Teach them in those ways. And when you get scared, know that I'm right here with you to the very end. Just imagine what a world like that would look like. I mean, what if just one church took these verses seriously and said, we're going to do it? I mean, what if Crossroads Church decided to do that? That this next year, there's 2,000 of us who watch online. If this next year we just decided that we were going to take one person who was close to stepping over that line of faith, help them step over that that line, and then teach them for the rest of the year what it looked like to be a disciple. How much impact, how much change would we have? In one year, we would go from 2,000 to 4,000. In two years, we'd go from four to eight. After five years, there would be 64,000 of us worshiping Jesus. And we wouldn't be having conversations about how to open these buildings. We would be having conversations of how do you open the convention center because that's how big a space we would need because that's how many people are worshiping Jesus. And that's if just one church did it. That God can change the world. And the way that he decides to change the world is through us. And if you think that dream is is totally outlandish, just remember that Jesus started with 11. 11 guys who were totally scared. 11 guys who doubted. 11 guys who at one point or another all ran away because they weren't sure. And Jesus looks at those 11 guys and he said, in your going, you make disciples. I'm with you to the very end. See, we disciple in everything we do. It's not a question of whether we're a disciple maker. We are. It's how are you influencing the people that God has put in your life. One last thing as we wrap all this up. Maybe this is your first time today. And something that James said or a song that we sang or or maybe something out of this message has struck you and you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, we're going to make it really easy. If you're you're wanting to take that step, simply text the word JESUS to 720-513-1933. If you take that step, we'll contact you, we'll reach out to you, and we'll help you cross that line of faith and begin that journey of walking with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, your goodness and your graciousness to us is overwhelming at times. God, that not only do you give us big dreams, Lord, cast big vision, Want to change the world through us, but Lord, you come alongside us in it. Lord, that that vision, that dream, it's too big for us. Lord, there's too many times that we get scared and want to run away. And yet your promise to us, the powerful promise, is that you're with us to the very end. And so, God, I pray that that would give us the confidence, Lord, that we would be bound by love to share our faith, to walk with others, to invest in people, discipling them, Lord, helping them see that, that you are good. God, I pray for those who, who are on the verge of crossing over that line of faith, Lord, who today have, have come and see Lord, that they're, that, they're, that they're following you, experiencing a life with you. And Lord, I pray that they would take that next step, and that they wouldn't just be satisfied with seeing who you are, but they would see and believe. And so, God, if you're whispering into their hearts today, if, if you're speaking to their souls, God, I pray that, Lord, that you would give them the courage to push that button, to text that number, Lord, and begin an amazing life with you. God, you are so good. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.